0: I hope you were here last Sunday because Emma preached a beautiful sermon about the Gospel of Matthew's Beatitudes, those blessed are you statements. She distilled the text to emphasize that we are all blessed because we are beloved. Our identity is that we are blessed and loved by God. That is the message with which Jesus begins His very first sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This Sunday's gospel lesson that Tony read for us picks up right where last Sunday's text left off. Immediately after, Jesus tells His followers, "'Blessed are you,' Jesus declares that they, we, are the salt of the earth, which conveys a responsibility to be useful to the world by doing what we were made to do, be salty, be disciples.'" Further, we are the light of the world, which conveys a responsibility to provide illumination. Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. You are blessed, basking in God's love. You are also salt, called to fulfill a unique purpose. And you are light, called to shine forth drawing others to God's light, and thus giving God the glory. As those who are beloved, that is how we are blessed to live. This Sunday, we also hear from Jesus' favorite prophet, Isaiah. In a passionate poem written more than 500 years before Jesus was born, we hear a preview of the priorities and metaphors that Jesus will riff on in His Sermon on the Mount and throughout His ministry. In this challenging poem, we hear the voice of God speaking first to Isaiah, urging the prophet to action, and when I read the text, listen for how it begins. The prophet is instructed to be like a trumpet. It's a military image, an ancient call to arms. In more contemporary vernacular, it's the high-stakes urgency of an amber alert screaming on your cell phone, this message matters. And what is the message? Divine dismay, disdain, even disgust at human hypocrisy. God chastises God's blessed and beloved people for behaving as if they were righteous. God even mimics those who complain that their fasting, their worshiping, is not earning the kudos they crave, and so God instructs them and us in true righteousness which is true worship. So, in case you have ever wondered if God notices or cares what you do on Sunday morning and every other day, or in case you ever think that the purpose of worship is to dress up and feel holy, or in case you ever worry that you are not able to contribute to what really matters to God, here is Isaiah 58 beginning with verse 1. Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins, yet Day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast but you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? Look. You serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie there in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and God will say, here I am. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me quickly address something that could be floating around, the notion of an Old Testament God of wrath and then a New Testament God of love. That idea is actually a bona fide heresy. Now, I'm not going to turn you in or anything, but I will remind us all that there is one true God who is and was and shall be evermore. So, if this Isaiah passage makes you squirm, and it makes me squirm, we cannot take refuge in these being the sentiments of some grumpy old God that Jesus has rendered obsolete. Nope, heresy. Plus, we just heard Jesus insist that He did not come to abolish the law. And what Isaiah says here is actually right in line with what Jesus will come to say. You are salt. You got one job. Be salty. Just like a pinch of salt makes an invisible difference in what would otherwise be tasteless, your work and witness in the world make an invaluable difference in the world. And, Jesus says, it's what y'all are made to do, what y'all are blessed to do. So if ever we get distracted from our purpose, namely the furthering of God's purpose, if ever we detour from that and end up contenting ourselves with nice and pretty worship rather than righteous lives, then we've become as worthless as unsalty salt. And now let me note that I love worship. I mean, it's among my favorite things. Just last Monday, I got to go downtown with Emma and spend an hour and a half at Central Presbyterian, collaborating with worship leaders from other churches, imagining this year's Good Friday worship. Ninety minutes on one service that's two months away, and that didn't even finalize scripture readings or hymns or anthems or bulletin artwork or who'll do what. That was just the dreaming it up phase. I love worship. Worship is the heart of our shared life because it can, it must, shape us to live as God's blessed and beloved people. Isaiah's issue is not with worship itself, but with worship that is focused on self, worship that aims at anything less than inspiring us to be the hands and feet and voice of God in the world. So this is not a referendum on worship, but on the worshiper whose life outside worship is not consistent with their words inside worship. God is reminding us our worship is precisely as worthy as the behavior it inspires. Through Isaiah, we hear God say, how can you say you're worshiping? fasting when you're simultaneously oppressing people. And you may be fasting, but you're also fighting. You're acting as if you were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the law of God. Without itemizing any of the examples that trouble me most, I invite us all to think seriously about the instances of acting as if we were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the law of God. The law God's Son sums up, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Think seriously on that. And let's also imagine God's dismay, disdain, even disgust at that. Let's pray about that, and let's notice that God also names the remedy and even paints a picture of gracious restoration, light breaking forth like the dawn, when we accept our blessed and beloved identity and our salt and light purpose and live our worship. The worship that God chooses is to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to break every form of bondage. It is also to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. In other words, God is looking for systemic change as well as personal change. I mean, injustice, oppression, I, I can't fix that myself. But we are educated consumers, taxpayers, voters, global citizens who are connected with systems that could do that. The fact is, I cannot go out and personally put an end to injustice or individually break every yoke of oppression, but we can advocate for systemic reform. And please, let's not any of us hide behind any debate. This can be both public policy and private sector, both entrepreneurs and agencies. And while we're advocating for nothing less than societal transformation, God expects us also to get hands-on in addressing specific needs. God asks us to share our bread, offer our shelter, provide clothing, and acknowledge the God-given value of all. It's daunting, but did you hear... The recent news story about Palazzo Migliori, Owned by the Roman Catholic Church, it's a palace right beside the Vatican. There was talk of turning it into a luxury hotel, but Pope Francis instead renovated it to be a home for people experiencing homelessness. It now offers hot meals and hot showers, medical care and counseling to scores of men and women get to live there. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. Cover the naked. Don't hide yourself from your own kin. That pretty much nails it. Yeah, but that's the Pope. It's his job. Well, according to God, it's our job too. And so I think of another news story, this one from Grady High School. Our very own neighborhood high school where my kids graduated and where several of our youth are currently studying, has close to 300 students experiencing significant food or housing insecurity. Last fall, Principal Betsy Bachman realized that two of the families registering their teens there were living in a homeless shelter, and another family had lost their house and were living out of their car. High school is hard enough all by itself And these kids were also dealing with homelessness. The Grady community established Grady Cares, which has since provided more than $10,000 worth of food, clothing, backpacks, transportation, housing assistance. Share bread, bring in the homeless pool to break naked, don't hide yourself from your kin. Do you see the light beginning to break forth like the dawn? And then there's the news story we look forward to reading in a future Morningside newsletter, the story of MPC's mission trip to aid victims of Hurricane Michael, and how that and our other mission outreach enable those who worship here with prayer and vision and money and commitment to share with those in need and to dare not to hide ourselves from our own kin. Thanks be to God, we don't have to live as if we were blessed and beloved by God. We are blessed and beloved by God. So much so that what we do on Sunday and every other day matters to God. We don't have to live as if we were given unique gifts and meaningful purpose. We are salt and light we don't have to live as if we practiced righteousness. We can carry our worship out into God's world and live it in faithful service, knowing that when we call for help in this holy endeavor, God will answer saying, here I am.